Well, good morning, East Point. How are you doing? All right. Hey, uh, hopefully you're doing a little bit better than me. I woke up this morning and I had a low-grade fever, and I, I didn't think I, I didn't know if I was going to make it. But I tell you, people have been praying for me, and I told that first service there was like a wave of energy that just all of a sudden came over me. I was ready to go. So hopefully that wave of energy, wave of the spirit, will will continue here this second. Uh, second service as well. But it's good to see everyone. And today is a big day because today is Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if you guys have any predictions on whether it's the Chiefs. Raise your hand if you think it's the Chiefs. All right. Or the 49ers. Or we don't care. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. It's not going to be the Cowboys this year. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie. All right. Anyways, I want you to know, I've watched every single Super Bowl since 1981, whenever the Philadelphia Eagles and Harold Carmichael, there we go, and Ron Jaworski and Wilbert Montgomery were part of that team, played the uh, Oakland Raiders and Jim Plunkett and all those bad boys of the Oakland Raiders. And I've watched every single one of the Super Bowls except for one. And I was a sophomore in college, and I had just started dating this girl, and she wanted me to come up to see her at her school. And so I did, and I thought, well, I'm sure that we'll catch the game somewhere. And she decided she wanted to go out with, for pizza with her friends. I thought, oh, that's fine. I like pizza. And, but whenever we got there, there was no game. There was no TV there. And I just thought, well, we'll just eat the pizza, and then we'll go catch the game. But we didn't. We just sat there and talked, and I can remember how tough that was. And I remember thinking the whole time, I am missing the Super Bowl for this. All right. I, I probably should have just packed up my stuff and took off right then and said, there is no way. Sorry, girl, this, this relationship is not going to work out, obviously. All right. Um, but I remember, <laughs> it, oh, Audra wants, wants me to share. It, it was not Audra. It was not Audra. <laughs> I, I, I tell people that whenever I was looking for a wife after this, I, I said, hey, she's got to be good looking, all right? And I, I, think, I think God overdid it in that department. And then, and then, and then she's got to at least like sports a little bit after this. I was like, oh, this can't happen again. And so Audra played tennis, and I thought, oh, she loves sports. Well, not as much as I do, all right? And then, but she loves the Lord, and, and that was one of the requirements, and I'm so thankful for a wife that we're sharing in ministry, all right? Now you got me off track, Audra. I, uh, what I was saying, what I was saying, Audra, was that one of the worst things was coming back. Now, I, I was going to school in western Pennsylvania, and the Steelers were in the Super Bowl that, that year, all right? And I had to come back to my college, western Pennsylvania, with all these Steelers fans, and ask somebody who won the game, all right? I felt so lame that night. But the Super Bowl really is one of the greatest spectacles in sports, one of the greatest spectacles in the, on the planet, really. You know, from the anthem, and I don't think anyone will ever outdo Whitney Houston in 91, whenever, you know, right before, right as Desert Storm took off. Whitney Houston was amazing. But the anthem to the halftime show. Now, I don't always get into the halftime show, but it sure beats the first halftime show of the first Super Bowl, all right, where they had a couple marching bands and the Three Stooges, okay? <laughs> all right, now... It would be like if they went and got Dumb and Dumber for the halftime show now. But although uh, I might actually watch that. That would be pretty entertaining. 
There's going to be over 170 million viewers, $5 million just for a 30-second ad at the Super Bowl. It's going to be broadcast in over 180 different countries in 25 different languages. 1.5 million people will call off of work tomorrow. The festivities and the food all around, all week, are amazing. There's, there'll probably be a flyover from, from military that's amazing. Crazy fans, the, the epitome of fanatic fanatics will be at this Super Bowl. Cheerleaders and dance teams, thousands of medias, and, and, um, and celebrities from all worlds of entertainment. And it really is the greatest spectacle in sports. If you want to see something amazing, go to the Super Bowl. As long as you have $5,000. And that's just for a cheap seat at the Super Bowl. But there's about 200 players, coaches, and trainers there. It's another test. It's another game. It's a big game to see where they stand in their craft. And as a team, for each one of them, they can only have one single focus tonight. They are at the biggest spectacle in the world, some of the most amazing things around them. There are distractions, not just on game day, but all week and all season. And if they stop for a second and avert their eyes and their attention, it could not only cost them the game, but it could cost them their reputation. It could cost them their name. It could cost them even their legacy. This week, we're gonna be talking about and we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12 again. And specifically, I want to talk about uh, the verses, uh, the end of verse 1 through, the verse, for, through verse 3, if I can say it, and, the rest of the, and how the rest of the chapter speaks into these verses. And so let's look up Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And it just says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And we talked a lot about that last week. We'll review it here in a second. And it goes on to say this. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Through it all, may our eyes be on you the author and perfecter of our faith, for, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider Christ. Consider our Savior. Who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Last week, we talked about that great cloud of witnesses and all the saints from whom we stand on the shoulders of that are cheering us on through all of our trials, through all of our hardships that this life brings. And there really is a power, there really is a strength whenever we're listening to those cheers. Because whenever we listen to those cheers, we will experience the home field advantage here on earth. But it definitely takes faith. It takes faith, and those cheers should definitely strengthen our faith. And faith is this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And God tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith and that we need to earnestly seek him out. 
And it, but it isn't easy. In order to have that faith, we need to relentlessly pursue that faith. We need to relentless, when we relentlessly pursue our faith, what we find is this. We find a God that is relentlessly pursuing us. He's relentlessly pursuing us because he loves us, because he has a plan for us, because he cares for us. Because he wants a relationship with us. He does not want any barriers between us and him. He wants that relationship to thrive. You see, we're all slaves to whatever masters us. And God pursues us so that we will not only experience that forgiveness through Jesus Christ, so we can have that relationship with him, but most importantly, so that we can experience freedom in Christ, understanding and knowing that this freedom is essential. It is essential. When we know this freedom, that is when we, we're going to enjoy that companionship with Jesus Christ. We feel his presence in our life and see circumstances in a different life, in a different light. Whenever we have that companionship in Christ, whenever we're experiencing that freedom, that's whenever we start to dream. When we have that freedom, we're more in tune with what God's calling us to in this life. We're able to find purpose in this life. And there is definitely, definitely a joy that we experience and a peace that we can live out whenever we find that purpose through him. It is only when we experience freedom in Christ that we will be able to live out the destiny that God has on our lives. And that destiny is not just to be in heaven with him someday. But it's to be like his son, Jesus Christ. How is he forming you in to his son? And over and over again, he tells that. In 1 Timothy, it tells us to train ourselves to be godly. In 1 John, it says, whoever abides in him should walk in the same way that he walked. In Ephesians 5, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He goes on to tell us that he always says, Put me first in all that you do. Love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Put me first over and over again in his word. Put him first. He says, love because I first loved you. Love as I love. Give as I give. Forgive as I forgave. There is not only blessing behind this, but there's also purpose. And we cannot get there without a relentless pursuit of our faith. How are you relentlessly pursuing your faith? We are to be like Christ. That is our goal here on earth. And I would call it our goal 1A. But our goal 1B should be this, that we are to be unlike anyone else. My calling and your calling should not look alike. My race that I'm running should not look like your race. They should be totally different. Every day, whenever I wake up, I should have two things. I, say, I should say, I want to be just like Christ today, and I want to be like, unlike anyone else here on this planet. We all have this mission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's for every one of us. For every one of us, we're to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. 
We're to love people, love others as our neighbor. And we are to be part of the body and to grow in him, to be like Christ. But how, do we, but how we do that depends on how and who God made us to be. I really believe that there's three important days in our life. And the first one is this, the day that you were born. What a special day that is. And I'm glad that each one of you are born. And God's glad that each one of you are born. And your parents can attest what a miracle that is. I didn't understand that until we had our own children. What a miracle that day is. The next most important day is this, the day that you are born again. The day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. You put him first in your life. You, just, you commit yourself to living for him, to doing things his way, to finding that blessing. And the next day is this. And this is so important. The day that you realize why you were born, why you were put on this earth, what you are to do, what your task is. I was made for this. I love sharing the story of one of my teachers named Mr. Palmer. Mr. Palmer was born with spina bifida, a hole in his spine. And it was so bad that he, they didn't really think that he would make it through the night whenever he was born. But Mr. Palmer made it through the night. They said, well, he'll never make it through the week. I'm really sorry to tell you that, but Mr. Palmer made it through the week. And he said, I'm sorry, but I don't see a way that he can make it through his first year. But Mr. Palmer made it through his first year. In fact, he's he shared this story that when he was a young boy, he had a dream. He had a dream that he was up in heaven with his grandfather that had gone before him. And his grandfather looked to, to him and he said, Greg, it's not going to be an easy road, but you're going to make it. And you're going to make a difference. And Mr. Palmer believed that. I want you to know that Mr. Palmer made a difference in many people's lives, including my own. I had Mr. Palmer for eighth grade English. And I didn't get much gooder in English because of Mr. Palmer. <laughs> but I loved his class. Every day I'd walk in with a, and he'd have a smile and a high five waiting for me and a word of encouragement. He made English fun. I had him for eighth grade basketball, and I don't remember one thing that Mr. Palmer taught me about basketball, but I believed I was a better basketball player whenever Mr. Whenever Mr. Palmer was around. He also asked me, to be part of the school play. He was the director of the school play in my high school years, my senior year, and my mom put him up to that. My mom was always trying to get me to be well-rounded rather than just sports all the time. And so he reluctantly asked me to try out, and so I did, and uh, Mr. Palmer cast me as the dead guy in arsenic and old lace. 
I want you to know that I got rave reviews for my dead guy. But it was really something that he said at a chapel service for the Kanakran Indians at the time that has really stuck with me. And he was talking to some of the best athletes in the world. And here's Mr. Palmer with spine bifida. He never spent a day of his life. He didn't take one step. He was confined to a wheelchair his whole life. And he rolled himself in there to these great athletes, Carlos Baerga, Jim Tomey, Joey Bell, some of the greats. And he said, I'm never going to be an athlete or a great athlete or hit a ball like you guys can hit or throw or run like you guys. But I do know this. I know that God gave me the perfect body for exactly what he wanted me to accomplish here on this earth. He gave me the perfect body for what he wanted me to do here on this earth. And because Mr. Palmer believed that, he made a difference. Hundreds and hundreds of students who went through his classes or were in his plays or were on his teams, he made a difference because he knew that God had a plan for him. And it was a perfect and pleasing plan, a plan that would not harm him, but it would give him a hope and a future. And we were all made to make a difference. In Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's handy, we're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And what does that race marked out for you look like? I was born for this. How would you finish that statement? I know for me, I was put on this earth to share Jesus Christ through sports. My first word wasn't mom or dad, it was ball. And I've loved sports, but I also love Jesus. And I feel like and Rick, you'll relate to this too. I feel like I'm at my best whenever I have a Bible in one hand and a ball in the other. But it doesn't stop there. I know that put me on this earth to serve the church. I love the church. Growing up, the church was always my family. And I'm thankful that my kids get to experience that same thing and be encouraged by so many in the body. And I know that I was put on this earth to serve the church, to be part of the church, to love the church. I'm also a dad. I know I was put on this earth to be a dad. Only I can be the best dad to my son, Brooks, and my daughter, Avery. And it's been one of my greatest joys, but it's also been one of my greatest frustrations. I didn't know I could get so angry until I had kids. (laughs) Not too long ago, I was working on the TV. I was fixing something on the TV and I was bent over and instead of my kids just saying, hey dad, I can see your underwear, my son gets out my phone and he decides to take a picture and he sends it to my wife, Audra, 
which they just thought was hilarious, but not, he didn't stop there. He decided to make it my screensaver, which <laughs> I have no idea how to change. And so now every time I pick up my phone, I see my underwear right there. So thanks, thanks Brooks. I was put on this earth for that. Uh, thank you, God. I'm also a husband. And I'm so thankful for my wife. Only I can be the best husband to my wife. So thankful that we share in our love for the church and our love for ministry. And for many of us, God has put us on this earth to fulfill these roles. We have a, a woman to love and to cherish or a man to love and respect or a family to nurture and provide for. Many of us, those are some big reasons why we're put on this earth. But if you didn't have that, that doesn't diminish your role here on earth at all. In fact, it should amplify many other areas of ministry in your life because we've all been given a work to do, a friend to be, a church to partner with, a savior to serve, and a calling to live out, every single one of us. And someday it will bring us great satisfaction or great regret in our hearts and how we do in these areas. Right before the 1980 U.S. hockey team took the rink to play the best hockey team in the world, the Soviets, and maybe the best hockey team ever, no one expected this game to be even close, or let alone that they even had a chance to win. Herb Brooks, the coach for the U.S. team, scribbled on an envelope, on the back of an envelope, these words, and he pulled it out and he shared it with the team. He said, guys, you were born to be hockey every one of you, and you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it, and of course, on that day they went and they defeated Soviets four to three. Do you believe in miracles? And if you were to say, God made me for this, God put me on this planet for this, what would you be doing? I mean, this is your chance right now, right now to take down the giant in your life. And it is time. How would you answer that? Because this, this is your Super Bowl. This is your legacy at stake. And God has been preparing you for this, for this moment, for a long time to live out your destiny here on this earth. And he talks about in Hebrews, if we go to verses 7 and 8, he talks about how God is preparing. And it says this, it says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And a lot of times we don't look at these hardships, we don't look at these trials as discipline, as God preparing us for something great. Instead, a lot of times we just accept it with resignation. We accept these hard times in our life and we, we, we pull away from God. We think, how could God be part of, part of that? And we start to steer our attention or our focus 
away to the left or to the right? What else is out there? Or maybe sometimes we accept that hardship or trials with self-pity. We focus on our pain and what we're going through. And we start to question whether or not we have what it takes to run this race to completion. And we lose motivation. Or maybe sometimes we respond to this discipline with anger and bitterness toward God. You allow the weight to become so much that you cannot carry it through this life. It becomes a hindrance not only to you, but it also becomes a hindrance to others as well. And we start to question whether we even want to run this race at all. But maybe we accept it for what it's supposed to be. Maybe we accept it for what God has intended it for for it to be. We accept it gratefully, trusting God as our loving Father and allow it to grow our relationship with with Him. Allow it to grow us closer to Him, to be more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And it says this in verses 9 and 10, it says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And what we realize is this, is that he's not condemning us with these trials, but rather he's confirming us as his children, as his chosen people. And not only is he confirming us as his children, but he's conforming us to his son, Jesus Christ. In verse 11, it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And he is not just a disciplining parent, but he's also a very demanding coach who is going to push us to our limits because he knows that what is at stake. He understands what is at stake and what God has called us to is is really is a matter of life and death. He's all called us to point people to life, to point people to Jesus Christ. And in verse 12, it says this, it says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Understand that God is conforming us to his son so that we will be a living representation of Christ in our sphere of influence, wherever that might be. And this is something that we cannot, we cannot, cannot do on our own. We need Jesus. And we need to fix our eyes on him the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to focus on him, understanding that there is always blessing behind obedience. There is something good whenever we stay the course, whenever we keep our eyes fixed on him and we act justly and righteously towards him and know that there's always consequence to sin. We all, and we all get tripped up. We all lose our focus at times. And a lot of times we just forget. We forget who God's called us to be. We forget where we're at. We forget what we're doing. 
And, and I've, got a, I've got an answer to this. I hope, I hope you like these. I don't know. I call these my Hebrews 12 glasses right here. All right? Where we need to make sure that at all times, it is hard to get our eyes averted from Jesus Christ with these and, and averted from the cross with these. And, and I, not only do I call them my Hebrews 12 glasses, but I'm also going to call them cross eyes. Does that sound, sound good? <laughs> I think, I think there's a lot of optometrists that would, would uh, really benefit from these glasses if I, if I actually sold them. But it shouldn't, take, it shouldn't take cross eyes to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. We should be doing that with prayer every single day. We should be in God's word every single day. We should all be connected to the capital C church, the body of Jesus Christ, for accountability and encouragement and nourishment. And we need that in our lives to stay focused on him. Sometimes it's just our choices. We choose to do our thing rather than, than God's thing. And we, a lot of times we choose that path of least resistance. We choose the least risky path and we stop asking God for direction to show us his will. We stop dreaming. We stop stepping out of our comfort zone and we get stuck in a, rut, in a rut. And this life is too risky to play it safe. We need to step out of our comfort zone. And then also there's times when we're just tired, aren't we? Jimmy Johnson, one of the great coaches, told his team one time, you know, that fatigue would make cowards of us all. We all have a plan in the first and second and third quarter. By that fourth quarter rolls around and you're tired, all of a sudden we become cowards to what we're called to, to do. I mean, how many times do we make decisions on how we feel right now rather than what is right or what is best in the long run? I love the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25. Jacob was the older brother. Uh, I'm sorry. Esau was the older brother of, of Jacob and the rightful recipient to the birthright of, of Isaac who had that divine birthright of Abraham. All right? Whom God said, hey, you're going to be the father of a great nation. I mean, this birthright was gold. It was the greatest blessing anyone could receive at that time, all nations were going to be blessed through this birthright. And it really shouldn't have been, I am the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It should have been, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That's how it should have went. But it says that Moses says in Genesis that Esau despised his inheritance because he was coming back from a hunting trip and he was hungry in the moment. And Isaac was making lentil soup and it smelled so good. And he made a deal that he would give up his birthright for that bowl of soup. John Calvin says this about Esau's decision. He says, it would have been his true wisdom rather to undergo a thousand deaths than to renounce his birthright. And what it meant for him and what it meant for his people and what it meant for his descendants. I mean, not only did it affect him, but it affected all of his descendants who became the Edomites, an enemy of Israel. You want to talk about the pitfalls of, 
living in the moment and making a decision in the moment that turned tragic, Esau was definitely that poster child for living in the moment and making the wrong decision. And it goes on in, verse, in chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, and it warns us in Hebrews of making the same mistake of living in the moment. And it says this, it says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many, not just you, but many whenever we live in the moment. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. And even though he sought out the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done because there is always consequence to sin. There's always a high price for low living. And it's not gonna just hurt you, but it's gonna hurt many. And I ask you today, what are you giving up for a bowl of soup? What are you exchanging for a bowl of soup to live in the moment? Or maybe we can switch it around and just say, maybe you're saying, I'm missing my super bowl because of this. I'm jeopardizing my legacy for this. And why? For what? For a moment of pleasure? Is it worth it? Proverbs 4:25 through 27 says, "Let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot keep your foot from evil." In Hebrews 12, 3, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love to share the story of my friend's name, Kyle. Kyle was about sixth grade at the time, and Kyle was one of my favorites. He was just a fun kid. And we were at a week of camp out in Iowa, and I decided at the beginning of this week, it was a sports week of camp, that at the beginning of the week, I was going to have them run around the field. And I said, just run for as long as you can, but whenever you stop, that's what your time is. Make sure that we write down your time. And so everyone ran, you know, around that field several times. Some ran for four minutes and eight minutes. Some even ran 12 minutes and 15 minutes. Some even ran, I think, almost 20 minutes before they finally, finally stopped. My eye was on Kyle, and Kyle went one time around that field and he stopped 40 seconds and I just looked at Kyle I said Kyle one lap really he's like yeah Andre I I was tired I said all right so we talked about this verse all all week long verse Hebrews 12 1 through 3 you know to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith and understanding that we have a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on and that we can do it You know, consider Jesus and what he did for us on that cross. That he was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to take that next step because he loved, cared for you. He wanted a relationship with you. So at the end of the week, after talking about this verse all week, I said, all right, 
This time we're not gonna run for ourselves. We're gonna run with a purpose. And we put a cross out in the middle of that field and I said, this time I want you to run for Jesus. I want you to remember what Jesus Christ did for you. That he was willing to go to the cross so that you could have life. And so we started that race and every single one of those kids ran longer that, that second time than they did at the beginning of the week. But my eye was on Kyle. I was just hoping that he would keep going after one lap. And, and I watched Kyle and Kyle went around one time and then he kept going this time. And pretty soon it had been two and three and four and five laps around there. I was like, Kyle, you're doing awesome. Keep going. You got this. Pretty soon it had been six and seven minutes he was running around that field. Kyle, keep going. You got one more for Jesus. You can do it. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And Kyle was still going. I could tell he was tired. I was like, Kyle, you all right? And he would just shake his head and he would just keep going. 18, 20 minutes and Kyle was still going. Kyle, you got one more for Jesus? I got one more. 21, 22, 23, 24 minutes. Kyle was still going, one more for Jesus, Kyle, you got this. Finally, after 25 minutes, I stopped Kyle. I didn't want to have to call 911 that day. But I think it's a great testimony. And that whenever we keep our eyes fixed and focus on Jesus and what he did for us, that we absolutely can take the next step. We can absolutely be that mom or dad that God's called us to be. We can absolutely live out that commitment we've made to our husband or to our wife. And with Jesus' help, we can absolutely live out that calling that he has for our lives. I think that many times we've all been tired and we've said this load is too heavy, the ask is too great, the sacrifice is greater than I can afford. But then Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden we get a new energy and realize, hey, I, I could do it for him because of what he did for me. And I hope that's for each one of you today. Maybe you haven't been living your life with your eyes focused on the cross, with your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. You're not able to say, I'm here for this. I've been put on this earth to this, for this. I was born for this. And you need a heart check. Say, God, I know that you have a plan for me and it's good and it's pleasing. And I want to know what that plan is. Because I want to have victory in my Super Bowl. There's too much at stake. Maybe there's somebody here that's never said yes to Jesus Christ. And I know that we have a baptism Sunday next week and I would, it, would be the greatest, it would be greater than the Super Bowl victory if someone came up forward and said yes to Jesus Christ. You know, 100 years from now, we're never gonna, no one's gonna remember who won between the 49ers and the Chiefs. I could hardly remember what it, who they were right now, all right? But I know getting that name written that Lamb's Book of Life is for eternity. 
And what a blessing that is to not only have that name written there, but to know why you're here, why you were put on this earth. And maybe that's you today. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you that we can get into your word and how it speaks to our lives and to our hearts. I just pray today that we refocus our lives to your will. Keep our eyes fixed and focused on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured that cross and what a difference that makes in our lives. It gives us purpose. Help us understand why we were put on this earth and how we can live that out. God, I pray for victory for each one here. And I, I pray that they're able to experience that not only with you someday, but here on earth. And live out their legacy that you have for them. God, you're good. You're good all the time. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name.